turn together in Holy Scripture to the book of John, John chapter 13. John chapter 13 really begins the, it's the second half of the whole book, but it begins the whole account of the eventual arrest and death of Christ. There's a shift in the the mood of the book beginning with chapter 13, and Jesus' mind is definitely on the cross. Beginning at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper. And laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had said thus, he was troubled in spirit, and testified, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, 
He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped, dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because, Jesus had the, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say to you, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Thus far we read in the reading of God's word this morning. The text this morning is verses 12 through 17. He saith, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, this story takes place during the Last Supper, which means that by this time tomorrow, Jesus will be dead. And yet the disciples of Jesus still do not know that Jesus is going to execute his great work as the Christ by suffering and dying on a cross. They do not know this. They do not know this even though Jesus has told them bluntly and repeatedly that this will be the case. They do not know it. And their ignorance becomes painfully evident by an argument that breaks out at this time right here in the upper room during the Last Supper. Luke's account tells us in Luke 22 verse 24 that there was a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest. Right in the middle of all of these things that are going on, there's a strife, an argument, a heated discussion that breaks out. Which of them should be the greatest? That's how they saw Jesus, even at this point. He was their ticket to greatness, their ticket to power and to fame. And it is with this attitude that each of them walks past the towel and the basin, 
that is in the corner of the room. And one by one, they sit down around the table with dirty feet, each of them too great to wear the clothes of a servant. It was time, therefore, for Jesus to teach them one of his most memorable and most pointed lessons. He stands up before the watching eyes of his students. He lays aside his robe and his other garments, and he puts on the servant's clothes. He takes the towel and he takes the unused wash basin, and without a word, he goes from disciple to disciple and with water washes their dirty feet. Now Jesus did and said many things in the course of his ministry, but this image of Jesus dressed as a servant and washing the feet of his disciples was emblazoned in the memory of John so that he wrote it down so vividly here in chapter 13. It captures so much of who Jesus is and what he came to do. A servant. That's what he proclaims to his disciples and to all of us. A servant. That's what I am. A lowly servant. A servant, Peter. And if I am not a servant, your servant, even in this lowliest of ways, you have no part with me or with my kingdom. And if that's the Lord, if that's the Master, a servant, then what are those who are called His followers? And what are those who are called to serve Him in a special office and to represent Him in His church? If the teacher and the Lord is a servant, then are not also those who are called His followers servants? Servants they are. Servants of the foot washer. That's the theme of the sermon this morning. Servants of the foot washer. First, let's identify what they must do. Secondly, what compels them to do it. And specifically, how the Lord, through His example, and then His instruction, compels the apostles into service. And then finally, why they are happy. And why specifically these ones, the servants of the foot washer, who follow the example of their Lord, are happy. That's the theme. Servants of the foot washer, what they must do, what compels them to do it, and then why they are happy. Well, Jesus says that his servants must follow his example, his example of washing feet. Now, washing feet clearly is an act of lowly service. In that time and place, people went around wearing sandals, or if they didn't have sandals, they went around going barefoot. And they walked in the streets in this way, and the streets that they walked in were not nice, paved streets like the streets that we're familiar with. There were no sidewalks. These were dusty streets, dry and dusty streets. 
These were streets that had donkeys and oxen and camels and other beasts of burden walking around in them and leaving their droppings. These were streets where people threw out their garbage and their refuse. They were dirty streets. And feet all by themselves are not the most attractive members of the human body. But now take those feet and place them in the midst of all of that filth uncovered and you have something that's rather repulsive. Dirty. Smelly. Uncomfortable. That's why in most houses it was the job of a servant to wash the feet of the guests. And this would be an act of common courtesy. If you're going to invite guests into your house, you will have a servant there. Or if you don't have a servant, it will be a member of the household, maybe the member of the household who draws the short straw, who is going to take a basin and a towel and is going to wash the feet of the guests for their relief and for their comfort from the dusty and dirty streets that they've been trotting around in outside. But this was a lowly job. That's the point. It was a lowly job. There's a reason Peter acts the way he does when Jesus comes to wash his feet. Peter is shocked. He's shocked. And it's not only Peter who's shocked. The other disciples are shocked too. They're just better at keeping their mouths closed than Peter is. But they're shocked and ashamed. Here's the Lord. Here's the teacher, the Christ. And here he sits, and here we all sit with dirty, smelly feet from walking around in the streets outside because not one of us was willing to be the foot washer. So now they look on in stunned silence as Jesus wordlessly goes from one to the next, washing the filth from their feet, taking on himself the form of a servant. And not just any servant, but a lowly servant. Now this was for the relief and comfort of his disciples, of course, but Jesus did not do this only for that purpose. He was doing this to teach them a lesson. He was doing this to leave them an example for them to follow. These men are his followers. They are his students. And they will one day, as apostles, be his representatives. And they need to follow him and represent him in a certain way. So he opens up for them visibly a window into his own mind and into his own attitudes and thinking to show them what it means to follow him, what it means to have the mind and attitude and spirit of Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse 15. I have given you an example a paradigm for you to follow after and to conform to that you should do as I have done to you. It's not good, this arguing and this strife that I hear coming from your mouths about who will be the greatest in the kingdom. It's not good, my disciples, that you have walked past the wash basin and not one of you has humbled himself to wash the feet of your brothers. You don't represent me that way. And what that attitude shows is that you don't know me. Not really. How can you know me if you don't have the attitude that I have 
and the Spirit that I possess? And how can you be my servants and my followers? You must do what I do. You must adopt the attitude and the Spirit that I exhibit before you. You must put on the servant's clothes yourselves and wash those dirty, filthy feet. Now there's a lot that goes into the work of an elder or a deacon in the church of Jesus Christ. There's a lot that goes into the practice of the Christian life, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There are many specific applications and instructions that we could give about these things. And the Bible has many specific applications and instructions about these things. How to be a good elder. How to be a good deacon. How to carry out this work. And there's all kinds of books that you can read to get lots of advice about this. But all of that will be in vain. That will all be in vain if we miss Jesus' point here. What makes a good office bearer in the church is not, first of all, how many skills he possesses. What makes a good elder is not, first of all, how many books that he's read or how many children that he's raised or how well he's raised those children. What makes a good deacon is not that he has a good grasp of personal finance principles Those things may certainly be helpful and are worth pursuing and reading about and studying about, and a good office bearer will pursue those things. But there have been office bearers who have had such skills and utterly failed in their calling to represent Jesus Christ. And there have been other office bearers who have lacked those skills or lacked them in the degree that others have possessed them and still serve the Lord well and faithfully. What makes a good office bearer is really the same thing that makes a Christian. Jesus has given you an example, brothers. Jesus himself has given you an example. Will you follow that example? Will you take on the form of a servant and begin to wash the dirty feet of your fellows? Or instead, will you dispute with them? And strive with them about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Who has the greatest skills. Who should be the most prominent. No, serving Christ isn't about recognition. Serving Christ isn't about personal validation. Serving Christ means being a servant. And it means... Being a servant of the lowest variety. You're servants of the foot washer. And you must reflect his mind and his heart in your work. I have given you an example. Jesus says that to you this morning. And to all of us, brothers and sisters, I have given you an example that you should follow me and that you should do as I have done to you. But more precisely and specifically, what does it mean to wash feet? What's he talking about here? By following this example, what does that mean that we're going to do? Does that mean literally that we will loose the straps of our brothers' and sisters' sandals and expose their dirty, dusty feet and wash them with water 
in the physical bodily act that Jesus did here? Well, that would be a rather superficial reading of the text. And that's not entirely what Jesus means. He makes his meaning quite plain in his words to Peter. Peter, of course, does not understand what Jesus is doing, judging by his reaction. In verse 6, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus says, What I do, you do not know. That is, you do not understand now, but you shall know, you shall understand hereafter. Now, if Jesus' only intention was to wash Peter's feet, to make his feet physically clean from the dust and filth of the street for his comfort and convenience, then Peter would understand exactly what Jesus was doing. But Jesus says, you don't understand now. You don't know yet what I'm doing, but you shall know hereafter. There's something that's coming in the future that will make you understand this event, that will make you look back on this event with a new appreciation. That's coming hereafter. So much is that the case that if I do not wash you, you have no part with me because the work that I'm going to do hereafter very much involves the nature of our relationship, Peter. Now by saying those things, Jesus makes clear that He doesn't only have the physical act of washing feet on His mind. He clearly means and intends that this action will be symbolic of something that Peter will only understand hereafter. So the question is, hereafter what? Well, we understand because unlike Peter, we know where this is all going. We know how the story ends. Jesus is going to be arrested this very evening. And after he's arrested, he's going to be tried and found guilty. And then he's going to be killed, executed on a cross, dead and buried. Then he's going to rise again and ascend into heaven. And after Jesus has finished all of this work that he's taking up as the servant of the Lord, taking on the form of a servant, Philippians 2 says, and humbling himself even unto the death of the cross. After he's finished that work, Peter will look back on this occasion of Jesus washing his feet. And then he will understand. He will understand why it was ignorance on his part to react against Jesus' washing of him. He will understand what Jesus came to do, what kind of a servant Jesus is. This is why I was here with you on earth all of these years, Peter, to wash away the filth of the lowly, to make clean those who are full of pride, who are great in their own minds, to expose them to their sin and unbelief, to call them to repentance, and then to give unto them life, life with God in heaven. Now, I won't say that foot washing doesn't include acts of service for the bodily needs of our fellows. That's how this story is usually understood, that it's only about acts of bodily service and that it, that it ends there. I won't say that it doesn't include that, just as Jesus was willing to get down on the floor and scrub those dirty and filthy feet of his disciples, so Christians ought to be willing to serve their brothers and sisters in acts even of lowly service. Pride should not keep a Christian back from caring for the elderly, from caring for the poor, 
from caring for those who have special needs, from taking the orphan off of the street, from visiting the widows in their affliction. In fact, there's an office in the church that is especially concerned with this kind of service in the church. That's what the name deacon means, brothers. It means servant. And specifically, as Acts 6 makes clear, a servant who serves tables. That is, someone who serves the needs of the poor, the the needs of the widows, the needs of those who need their, their feet washed, we might say. And if the witness of Jesus Christ requires that even such a lowly task as washing dirty feet is required of you brothers, then do it. That's what it means to be a servant of the foot washer. Do it. But there's more to it than that. To be servants of the foot washer, our work must be in harmony with the work of the Lord Himself. And the work of the Lord is not only the work of bodily comfort and bodily relief, it's the work of redemption. It's the work of calling sinners to repentance and leading them to the cross for forgiveness. It's the work of drawing those who are unworthy in themselves into fellowship with the living God through the cleansing of sin. Reconciling those who who are enemies to their God. Now there's a unique way in which the Lord fulfills this task. A unique way that sets Him apart as the Lord. He's the Lord. He makes that clear. I'm the Lord here doing this work. And there's a special way in which the Lord assumes the garb of the servant. Only the Lord is able to wash the feet of His followers in His blood. Only the Lord is able to lay down His life in the way that He did. as a sacrifice, a sacrifice of redemption and atonement. No office bearer is called to do that. No elder has the ability or the right to lay down their life to pay for the sins of the sheep or even for their own sins. The Lord hasn't called you for that purpose. He's called you and sent you for a different purpose, namely to lead sinners to Himself. To bring the dirty, smelly, befouled souls and lives of His people to the cross and to His wounds for healing. To humble the pride of His people by proclaiming to them the gospel of mercy and grace. That's your work as elders, as deacons, and as a pastor You each have individual offices and a specific work that 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 office involves. But together now, as a council, as office bearers in the instituted church of Jesus Christ, this is our work, brothers. Our work is to lead sinners to Jesus Christ, the great servant, the great foot washer. And it takes the heart of a servant to do that takes the heart of a servant as an elder to enter into the places of the people of their lives, maybe that they don't want to be entered into. To confront 
the call to repentance, to exercise discipline. It takes the heart of a servant to do that. It takes the heart of a servant, a servant not of these people, but a servant of Jesus Christ, and to say, what you need, people, is not me, not my expertise, not my wisdom. What you need, Him. You need the Lord, His blood, His Spirit, His cleansing, His washing. That's what it means to be a foot washer. That was what it means to be a servant of the foot washer. And notice, Jesus specifically says in verse 14, you ought to wash one another's feet. If I then, your Master and Lord, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. That's significant. And I think that lays a finger on what makes this so difficult. Foot washing all by itself is a difficult, lowly task. But when you have to look at one another, that makes it difficult in a unique sort of way, doesn't it? The twelve disciples were full of zeal. They had gone all over Galilee preaching the gospel and doing miracles already. They had cast out demons. They had healed the sick. You might say that those twelve disciples, these very men who were gathered in the upper room, were okay with foot washing. They were okay with foot washing so long as it's the feet of those people out there. But now that it's just the twelve of them in the room together, they're not so keen anymore. In some ways, it's easier to go do big things out there. We can point to such things and tell ourselves and tell others that we're mighty for the kingdom. Look at the things that I've done. Much mightier than my brother or my sister sitting over there. That person should put on the servant's mantle and wash my feet. Why should I wash his? The truth is, we all have dirty, smelly, foul feet. And if we say we love Jesus and the God who sent Jesus, whom we have not seen, then we ought to love our brother and our sister who's right in front of us, whom we have seen. But that's difficult. It's difficult to apply these things to people we know and who know us. And I want to make this application, especially to my fellow office bearers. This servant's heart and servant's attitude it begins in the council room. It begins in the consistory room and in the deacon's meeting. Is the basin and the towel of service going to remain untouched when we walk in and take our seats around the table? Or will we humble ourselves to wash one another's feet as well. And when that's the spirit that prevails in the council room, in the consistory room, in the deacons' meetings, when we look at one another and we say, I'm going to wash my brother's feet, then that spirit will go out and it will affect the whole congregation. And from the congregation, it will affect others as well. But it starts there. It starts with the person to your left and to your right. If I have washed your feet, Jesus says, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. 
Before we get into what compels them to do this, we should see that the disciples needed to be compelled. Now when you read John 13, the behavior of the disciples as they entered the room was not told us in so many words, but it's clear enough from the situation as it unfolds. There was equipment in that room that was provided for the purpose of foot washing. And if it was normal for people to wash feet when entering into a house ordinarily, it was especially expected that this would be the case on a feast day, which this was, the Passover feast. And if the disciples had been thinking as Christians ought to think, then this is what would have happened. One of them would have volunteered to be the foot washer, and he would have volunteered hardly without thinking about it. And the others would have had it in their mind to volunteer if, they, if someone else didn't beat them to it. And one by one, all their feet would have been washed before they took their seats. And perhaps another disciple would promise that I will be the foot washer next time. And that's the way that it would have gone. But instead, this is what happened. They walked right past the wash basin, right past the towels, right past the, past the servants' clothes, and they all sat down in their couch in anticipation of the feast with still smelly, dirty, befouled feet. One commentary I read suggests that this argument and striving about who is the greatest may have broken out in connection with who was going to sit where around the table. In what order should they sit around the table? Who gets to sit in the places of prominence? Surely it should be those who are most trusted. Surely it would be those who are the most loyal servants of Jesus who sit in the high seats. Surely it should be those who have done most for the kingdom of heaven and the greatest of deeds. Why should I have to sit back here? Why is it that nobody ever appreciates the things that I have done? Why shouldn't I get to sit in the place of honor? Why does he get to? Some sort of discussion like this was unfolding. And the Lord was there in the middle of it all, listening. With dirty feet himself. Because none of the disciples had bothered to wash his feet either. That behavior of the disciples is reflective of human nature, isn't it? The story may be one of the most well-known stories in the Gospels. Everyone knows that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Everyone knows that Jesus calls his disciples to be foot washers like him. Everyone knows that this is a story that teaches us to be humble. And I would say that it's funny, but... It's really more sad how people then take this story and make use of this very picture that Jesus gave us to be the illustration of a servant's heart in order to show to everybody else how great they are in the kingdom of heaven. Look at me. Look at how many feet I've washed. Look at how quickly I don the servant's garments. There's a big show of this during the Lent season. In the, in the Catholic Church, when the Pope and the bishops very publicly and very visibly wash some feet, and pictures are taken, and the Pope and the bishops are praised for their humility and following the example of Christ. And it's not just them who do it. Others do it too, maybe more subtly. But isn't this characteristic of human nature, beloved? So many good works are done. 
but they're done so that those who do them can be seen by others to be good. So that they can be known as those who are great in the kingdom. Even if they don't proclaim this from the housetops, they want everybody else to know. Virtue signaling. That's the word for this nowadays. Virtue signaling. Signaling how virtuous a person I am. But truly taking on the form of a servant. Doing the work that nobody sees. Nobody takes account of. Nobody recognizes. Looking for approval from nobody except from God. And only looking for His approval through His Son. Laying down your life. Not publicly and visibly, but silently and alone. A great cost to yourself. That's much more rare, isn't it? It goes against the grain of human nature. Human nature which is proud and self-protective and full of fear. The disciples were great at, at virtue signaling. You can only imagine what they might have done with social media if it had existed in their time. Posting selfies of themselves along with the other disciples. Maybe even with the Lord Himself. Look at the people I'm associated with. Look at the cause that I'm a part of. Share links to videos. Look at me. Look how great I am in the kingdom. So great that I don't have time to put on the servant's mantle and actually do the kinds of things that Jesus does. That was the attitude of the disciples. Striving and arguing. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And that attitude isn't foreign to any one of us. That's human nature. Something needs to change. Something needs to happen that will be powerful enough to compel these men who are by nature proud and self-serving into lowly service. So Jesus stands up. Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet, you see, was not only teaching them about the work that He was going to do, but it was also a calculated act that was intended to bind them firmly to an inescapable logic. People of God, I love this story. I love it not because I'm any different than the disciples or because I'm any different from any of you. I need to be bound and compelled by the Lord's logic just as much as anybody else or I will never put on the servant's mantle. And these new office bearers need to be bound and compelled by this logic or they will never take on the servant's mantle. But I love this story and you should love it too. I love the way the Lord just cuts right through it all. He sits down now that their feet are all nicely clean. He opens his mouth. Do you know what I've just done to you? And when he says that in verse 12, he's not talking about the fact that he just washed their feet. Obviously, they know that he just washed their feet. They watched him do it and they felt him doing it. But Jesus asked them, do you know what I just did to you? What he's done to them is to bind them in an inescapable logic that will compel them to do exactly what they have refused to do, to be foot washers. 
You all say you are my students, my followers, my servants. You say that I am your teacher, your master, and your Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. But look what I, your teacher, and your Lord, your Christ, have done to you. I have washed your feet, and soon I will do more than that. I will descend still lower into darkness, a darkness that none of you can even begin to fathom. I will be pierced. I will be crucified. I will die the death that is reserved for those who are traitors against God and His kingdom. And I will do all of this completely and entirely alone. No one seeing what's going on in my soul, the turmoil and the anguish. There will be no applause, no cheers, no affirmation. I lay down my life in its entirety, body and soul for you as the Christ. Now if I do such things as your teacher and Lord, and you acknowledge that my teaching is indeed from God, that my words are the words of eternal life, these are the things that you've said, Peter, that my lordship is genuine, that I am the Christ of God, then you ought to do what I do. Wash each other's feet. What can these men who claim to be disciples of Jesus, who rest their very claims of greatness on the fact that they are followers of Jesus, what can they say to that? Are you greater than the Lord? Are you above doing the sort of things that the Lord has done to you? For that's what you're saying if you refuse to wash your brother's feet. I'm greater than you, Lord. I'm bigger than you. More important, why should I wear the servant's mantle? Brothers, this logic compels you and me. Compels our consciences. Compels us to have a servant's heart and a servant's mind. It compels all of us, brothers and sisters, if we call ourselves Christians, it compels us, this logic does, to be foot washers. And let the one who says, oh no, that's too lowly for me, let that person walk out the door. Seriously. And as you know from our reading of John 13, that's exactly what one of these disciples is about to do, isn't it? I'm greater than this Jesus. That's the thought of Judas Iscariot. I'm worth more than just to be a foot washer. I deserve more. More silver. More prominence. Judas would not be bound by the Lord's logic. So he shows himself to be no disciple at all. He walks out the door. A servant, beloved. A foot washer. This is what you are. And happy are you if not only knowing these things, but you also do them. And I do want us to notice that Judas Iscariot was decidedly unhappy. He was unhappy before this evening already. He was unhappy with Jesus. 
unhappy with his own role in Jesus' company. He was unhappy with the direction that things were heading in. I suspect that Judas Iscariot of all the disciples had a better idea of where Jesus was going and what kind of work Jesus was about to do and what Jesus' intentions were. He was a shrewd, calculating figure. And his understanding of these things disillusioned him with the whole thing. He was already unhappy leading up to his betrayal, but never was Judas so unhappy as when he rejected the mantle of a servant in his betrayal of Christ. He walked out that door as the devil filled his heart, we read. Remember who the devil is. The devil's the first one who rejected the mantle of a servant. The first one who lifted himself in pride. The first one who said, I will be the great one in the kingdom. And now with the devil as his master, Judas is profoundly unhappy. He receives silver, a good chunk of change. But that does nothing to alleviate his happiness, does it? And you know the end of the story for him. Human nature is to imagine that happiness comes from being served. If only I could get them to see how great I am. If only I could get them to see how important I am. If only I could be recognized. If only I could get all of those people to wash my feet. Then I would be happy. That kind of thinking feels so natural to us. It's instinctive, and it promises so much. But it's vain. It's an empty promise. A vain and empty promise that will leave you in the same place that Judas was if you give in to it. Happiness is not to be found only in being served. It is to be found in being a servant and in having a servant's heart. If you know these things, Jesus says, happy are ye if ye do them. And it's important that you do them and not only know them. You will never know the happiness of being a servant unless you put those servants' clothes on yourself. Pick up the basin. Start washing those feet. This is happiness. Why? Two reasons. First, because it shows unequivocally and wondrously that you are yourself clean. The only one who will ever wash feet in the way that Jesus illustrates here is the one who has himself been washed by the Lord already. If you have this mind, if you have this spirit, that can only be because you have a part in the kingdom of Christ. And you have been washed by Him first. Otherwise, you would never do such things. It would never enter your mind to do such things. But you do them. That shows that you are happy. Happy regardless of how you may feel at any given moment. Happy because blessed are those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are the servants of Jesus Christ, called by His name, washed by Him, cleansed by Him, called and equipped by Him.
But there's also this. There's nothing, beloved, that gives you a better sense of the mind and heart of Jesus Christ than if you take up the mantle of the servant yourself and begin to act like he acts. To begin to be like him. Happy are you if not only knowing these things, you do them. Because by doing them, you're like me, Jesus says. By doing them, you look like me. You have the same kind of thought processes that I have, the same kind of attitude, the same kind of heart that I have. You are my friends, Jesus later says. My friends, not only my servants, but my friends. What is the heart of friendship? It's knowing the person with whom you are a friend. And if you take up the servant's mantle and do these things that Jesus says, you understand right into the heart of Christ himself. You know him. And he knows you. There's nothing more blessed in the world. So let this be our happiness, brothers, and let this be our joy, congregation, that we would have a servant's heart, that we would know ourselves to be servants of the foot washer, and that knowing these things, we would do those things that Jesus gave us an example of. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for this powerful story and for what it says to us. We pray, O Lord God, that Thou wilt write these words in our hearts, that beholding our Lord Christ, who was the preeminent foot washer, who took on the form of a servant, that we would adopt that same spirit ourselves. We pray that for our office bearers, that they would lead us in this, that they would be able to say to us as a congregation, follow me even as I follow Jesus Christ, and that this congregation will be knit together in cords of love as all of us strive not to be the greatest in the kingdom, but strive to show love and kindness and goodness to one another for thy sake and for the sake of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Forgive our sins and keep us from sin and evil. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.